Welcome to Von Ferndorfi Vigo News here on Bartleberg Studio. The program is sponsored by the Wet & Devoyers Brokers here in Rustenburg. Firstly, Alicia Kuzak will explain to us what happened in a case where the Department of Education was sued after there was a sexual assault, assault of a child by a teacher who was appointed by the department and who had a criminal record before such appointment. Can the department be held liable? And then uh, Johannes Mogutedi will talk to us about a uh, labor law matter dealing with moonlighting and side hustles. Can employers expect their employees to disclose any side hustles that they're involved in? In other words, anything that they do outside their normal business hours, working hours to earn an income, do they have to disclose that to the employer? Can the employer dismiss an employee who fails to do so? Johannes will give us the answer to that question. Please send us your questions and comments to info at vvdvictorvictordaniel.co.za and we'll gladly uh, have a look at those and uh, maybe deal with some of the questions in this uh, program. My name is Volker Kruger. I have Alicia Kuzak here with me from Van Felden Attorneys to talk about the re recent court case uh, dealing with uh, the liability of the Department of Education for um, a teacher's uh, conduct um, and the appointment of the teacher with a criminal record, etc. But yeah, Alicia, please uh, firstly explain uh, to the listeners the facts. What 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 was this case about? Um, so the facts of this case are actually quite sad, I think, um, and a bit of a listener discretion or viewer discretion is advised because it is about the sexual assault of a minor. So what happened in this case in 2011, um, the plaintiff in this case is just referred to as AH8. Uh, she was um, 12 years old in 2011 and she was attending the Flight Blast Primary School. So while at school, the first defendant, Mr. Swanepoel, asked her to come and assist him in his office. Uh, at that stage, he was a teacher and the acting principal of the school. When she got to his office, he actually ushered her into the staff bathroom, where he then proceeded to sexually assault or uh, rape her. And afterwards, he then had her clean up with a rag that he had with him and just ushered her out of the bathroom. So um, immediately following this, she did actually um, institute criminal proceedings against him, um, but after a while they were dropped. Um, so this isn't the criminal case, this is a civil case, um, and it takes place approximately, well, we're now in 2022, the judgment I believe was handed down late 2021, but let's, for argument's sake, call it about 10 years later. So she, in this case, is pursuing civil liability. She is trying to hold the teacher liable for the damages that she suffered. So he is the first defendant. But she is also trying to hold the Department of Education liable because she is saying the Department of Education had a duty to protect her as a student of the school and do a greater, I guess you could say, due diligence before allowing this man um, to be a teacher and to be registered as a teacher at the school. If he were to be found criminally liable, then obviously he would go to jail. 
for a number of years. So this is now civil liability, as you mentioned. So she is claiming damages in the form of funds, monetary funds that have to be paid to compensate her for the damages that she suffered as a result of the um, the, the rape. And uh, she claims that from him, obviously, as, as the perpetrator, but also from the department. Yes, so it is important. Why that is an important distinction is firstly, um, we don't necessarily refer to him as being guilty um, because he isn't found guilty of a crime here. He's either found liable or not liable. Um, so this won't reflect on his criminal record. Um, and secondly, the onus that she has that rests on her to prove that he assaulted her is slightly lower. So when we're dealing with criminal matters, she would have to prove, or rather the state, the prosecutor would have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he committed this assault. Here, she only has to prove it on a balance of probabilities. Um, and when it came to her case, she was actually, I mean, quite lucky um, in the sense that she had two teachers who corroborated her story. So apparently what happened is this um, Mr. Swanepoel had previously done things and conducted himself in a manner that another teacher, a Miss Keys, I believe her name was, um, started getting suspicious about the way he was treating the specific pupil. Um, she had apparently found them to be in a disheveled state in a kitchen on a previous occasion and so. So when she noticed that the student was missing because she was supposed to be attending to assisting the teachers with another matter, she went looking for her. Um, she then actually knocked on the staff bathroom Mr. Swanepoel answered and essentially said, oh no, occupied. And then she went and stood under a tree so that she could see who would be leaving the bathroom. And she then saw the little girl walking out of the room, uh, the bathroom, followed by Mr. Swanepoel. So obviously she didn't see the actual assault, but a lot of what she witnessed matched up with um, what the little girl back then and now as an adult, what she testified to. So with regards to Mr. Swanepoel, he was found to be delictually liable. They said that on a balance of probabilities, um, the court found he had committed a delict by physically um, sexually assaulting her. So that part of it moved out of the way. But then where the case got quite interesting is when we get to the Department of Education. Because obviously... Can I interrupt you there? You say that the, the, the standard is slightly lower, but I think in many cases, also in this case, there is a substantial difference between having to prove on a balance of probability as opposed to proving beyond reasonable doubt. Because, uh, yeah, in, in, a, in a criminal case, if there's any doubt whatsoever, then the court has to find that accused not guilty, whilst in the Civil case, as you mentioned, now it's a balance of probability. So you basically start on the same level and then it's for the court to decide uh, who the court believes more. Uh, so it's a, a scale that is level at the start of the case. And then if the one the version is more probable because there are witnesses who confirm, for example, that version, as you now mentioned, then you sort of win the case. So I think it's, it's, it's obviously much easier to win a civil case as opposed to a a criminal case. But be that as it may, um, the the next legal question, I guess, uh, is, is, is uh, the liability of the department. No? Um, what happened there? 
Yes, so obviously where you've got someone like Mr. Swanepoel who actively did something wrongful, um, there's this perception that what he did is on the face value of it, a wrongful thing that he did and he should be held liable. So if we take the example of maybe a physical assault, if you slap someone, the jumping off point is that what you did was wrong. Then you have to raise a defense and say why it might have been justified. Obviously, in sexual assault cases, you're not going to have a justification. But we still start from the jumping off point that what you did is wrong. However, what we're dealing with with the the Department of Education, is not that they actively did something wrong, is that they failed to do something. So in this case, they failed to prevent harm to the child. Um, and what is it's, specific- it's for, for example, another example would be a policeman who fails to act if someone is, for example, attacked in the street. Then there's no uh, specific conduct that leads to liability. It's actually the, the failure to, to act which could lead to the liability. Exactly. And um, the first thing that you have to consider when dealing with a failure or an omission is, was there a legal duty on this party to do something? So uh, an example they always used for us at university was you as a normal person are walking by a river and you notice someone drowning but you yourself aren't a very good swimmer. There's no duty on you to jump into that river to save that person. You cannot then be held liable for not you know, risking your life to try and save them. But let's say the circumstance differs, such as a policeman who has taken an oath to, you know, protect the public. He sees someone being assaulted in front of him and he just stands back and does nothing. Then you can be held liable. You had a duty on you to actively intervene and do something and your failure to do so is wrong. So the question here was, what was the duty on the Department of education. So they said the Department of Education has a duty to vet teachers. They must confirm that they are suitable people to be teachers. So um, in this case, what it came down to is a form that the defendant had filled in. So Mr. Swanepoel had um, completed a form in which they asked him, had he previously been convicted of any crime related to his work? And he answered no. He said no, he hasn't. Although he had previously been convicted of assaulting, sexually assaulting a 15-year-old. And his rationale was, well, that wasn't in the scope of my work. So I didn't feel the need to disclose it. Um, so the court essentially said, well, firstly, um, to put it a bit bluntly, that's a stupid question. Why are we limiting it to within the scope of their work? When we are dealing with children, we are dealing with a portion of the population that is extremely vulnerable, and now you're concerned whether he did something wrong within the scope of his work. Just repeat that question, please, uh, you say? So they asked him whether he had previously been convicted of an offence but within the scope of his work, yeah. within the scope of employment. So... You know, maybe some administrative offence, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they said, firstly, that was a problem. The second thing was that the Department of Education never actually fact 
check these forms. So if they would have gone and they would have, you know, competed with his um, SAP's criminal records, they would have found that he had previously been convicted of a sexual offence, but they didn't do any due diligence. Um, and the reason for that was the Department of Education, so the school was pointing their fingers at the Department of Education. They went, we didn't do it because the Department of Education was supposed to do it. The Department of Education went, well, we didn't do it because the SACE, which is, which is the South African Council of Educators, they were supposed to do it. And the South African Council of Educators went, well, actually, in 2011, it wasn't a requirement for us to do it. They only introduced the police clearance certificate requirement in 2018, which is, I think, for any parent or any reasonable person, quite a shocking thing to hear. So everyone was pointing fingers at, at everyone and the court just said no. At the end of the day, it is the part, the Department of Education who bears this responsibility. They are the people who allow persons like Mr. Swanepoel to be um, uh, registered and employed as in educators and they should have done a due diligence. And this thing came down to two things and it was actually testified by the representative of the Department of Education. One, it is reasonably foreseeable that um, persons such as the first defendant pose a high risk to children. Um, any reasonable person who is employing an educator should foresee that someone who has been previously convicted of sexual offences, specifically with regards to minors, should not be employed as an educator. And they said, secondly, it was reasonably preventable. If the Department of Education had firstly had him fill out a proper form, and secondly, had double-checked what he said on this form, then he would not have been employed as an educator. And on those grounds, um, the court said the Department of Education had been liable, um, negligent, and should be held liable. So they are actually jointly and severally liable with Mr. Swanepoel for um, the woman's damages, um, which will now be determined at a later stage. So what they did here is they first dealt with the merits, with the liability, and now they will later deal with her damages that she suffered. Jointly and severally meaning that the full amount can be claimed from either of them. Yes. So if they, uh claim it first from the department. The department cannot say, no, you must uh, get a portion of that amount from the Mr. Swanepoel. No? So yeah. uh, that uh, obviously also helps in terms of recovering that amount from the two defendants in such a case. Yeah, so so the, the advice obviously for the department is yeah, there's a legal duty according to this court to vet uh, the teachers carefully and specifically check the criminal record and make sure that your questions are worded properly. Uh, but uh, it looks like the question as such, even if it had been worded properly, that wasn't good enough. The court said it's so important to protect the children. You have such a such an important duty to do so that you actually need to check the criminal record of every teacher that you appoint. Yes. Um, 
I do think it's important to note that there's a very high probability of this case going on appeal. So this was actually the Western Cape High Court. It happened in the Western Cape. Um, the Department of Education, I'd be very surprised if they don't appeal this judgment, um, specifically because there have been a lot of previous cases where parents have tried to keep the Department of Education liable, such as where children might have been injured on you know, playing equipment and things like that. And every time the department has escaped liability. So this does create a very big precedent that the department isn't untouchable um, and that there is a big duty that rests on their shoulders. So for now, yes, the department, I think, you know, the Department of Education, irrespective of this case, should be doing a better job. Um, you know, themselves, the SAC, all the organizations that are involved here, they should be doing a better job. They should be, you know, double checking criminal records and doing everything. So even if this gets overturned, um, I wouldn't think that they should just wash their hands and be like, oh, well, we've gotten off scot-free. I hope that they are doing that in the meantime. In any event, I think you mentioned something about 2018. They implement, started implementing that. No? So hopefully that doesn't uh, won't happen again. Uh, maybe I can just add, it's it's perhaps good advice for any employer to always get the criminal record of any applicant for position verified. Um, there have been some cases where employers have employed someone who was previously out, uh, guilty, found guilty for actually theft, and then that employee again stole, stole from that as, uh, that employer who employed him without checking the criminal record. So that's certainly something that I think should happen with any uh, employee being employed and not just a teacher. Yeah, definitely. All right. Thank you, Alicia. Thank you. My name is Volker Kruger and I'm joined by Johannes Mogotedi from our Labor Law Department, regular guest on our program. Uh, thanks for joining us, uh, Johannes. Thank you, Volker. Yeah, so tell us more about this case uh, that deals with uh, moonlighting, uh, side hustles of employees. Uh, what can an employer do if he finds out about that? Uh, is there any new law sort of uh, set down with this new decision? Not necessarily that there's a new law, but it's an emphasis of, of the existing law and of what the employers should take into account. Uh, but uh, the case involves Bakenrech, trading as uh, Justenbeck Meat versus the CCMA. And uh, the case was firstly held at the CCMA, then at the Labor Court, then finally at the Labor Appeal Court. But it deals with moonlighting. Now the question is, what is moonlighting? Moonlighting is, my uh, general description is that having a second job, and uh, uh, people normally do it secretly or at night or at odd hours as compared to their normal or regular job. Now, in this instance, the facts are briefly as follows. Uh, Bakkenrug Trading had an employee, and this employee's primary duties was to be a sales representative uh, dealing with the uh, the goods which were produced by Bakkenrecht, which mostly related to meat-related goods. Now, uh, later on, while she was still employed, uh, Bakkenrecht uh, found out that this lady was conducting uh, or selling uh, meat uh, uh, 
uh, on the side, and this was not disclosed to uh, Bakanrev. Now, a disciplinary inquiry was conducted, and the lady was ultimately dismissed because of uh, there was a breach of dis- there was a breach of uh, good faith, dishonesty, and 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 the lady was not happy with the decision by Bakanrev. She took the matter to the CCMA. The CCMA confirmed and held that the decision by Bakanrev was um, uh, substantially and procedurally fair. The commissioner at the CCMA uh, laid emphasis to the question of a conflict of interest, laid emphasis to the question of the duty to disclose, laid emphasis to the point of honesty on the part of the employees. Now, the commissioner made a finding that the employee was found lacking in those aspects and uh, and confirmed the dismissal. Now, the lady was not happy. She took the matter to the Labour Appeal Court. No, to the Labour Court initially. And at the Labour Court, the, the, the judge at the Labour Court set aside the decision by the, by the commissioner. Now, the judge indicated that uh, uh, the commissioner should have taken into account the evidence by the lady that, no, uh, that uh, business of hers was only done uh, over the weekend and he had no effect on her work and end. And the, commission, the, the judge made the ruling that there was no connection between what the lady was doing on the site as compared to her main job. And uh, the Bakenreich was not happy with the decision. Now they took it to the Labour Appeal Court. Now the Labour Appeal Court, the matter was decided by Judge Davis, and Judge Davis uh, confirmed or reaffirmed the position in respect of uh, uh, moonlighting. Number one, the, the, the judge said that uh, as an as an as an employee. Uh, the employee, the employee uh, owed uh, loyalty to his employer. He should disclose and tell his employer about everything, which included whether, which included the work, whether the work was related or not related to his work. And um, uh, ultimately, uh, the judge made the finding that um, uh, the decision by the by the labor court was incorrect and set it aside and the dismissal was confirmed to have been fair and uh, both substantively and procedurally fair. Therefore, what is to be learned from this is that um, uh, the court uh, re-emphasized the the position which everybody knew about uh, moonlighting, that when you are involved in moonlighting, it is in your interest to disclose such to your employer and to disclose the details to your employer for the employer to give you a go-ahead and to establish whether there is conflict of interest and or not, because of failure to such might lead to the employee losing his employment. So that principle applies even if it's done after hours and even if there's no direct competition between what the employer does and the business of the employer. Is that right? Yes, yes, you are you are hundred percent correct, and you you you, are, you the way you summarize it is what the judge said. That whether correct, whether related or not related, uh, it is your duty as an employee to disclose it to your employer, for your employer to make a decision whether there is a conflict of interest and or not. 
because I guess an employer could argue it's got nothing to do with his employer, what he does out of his work outside his working hours, and it's got nothing to do with the employer if he's not in competition with the employer. But I guess on the other hand, the employer can argue that um, you've got to be fully committed to your job. You can't do other things after hours, uh, have another business or another job after hours. I need to know about it, and I need to give my consent uh, to it. So, so the Labour Appeals Court basically sided with the employer and said, yeah, that's fair, that makes sense. So you, as employee, always have to disclose that. Yes, you're correct, Falcon. All right. Yeah, okay. interesting. Um, yeah, and, and I guess important for employees and employers to take note of. Um, in other words, it can lead to your dismissal if you fail to disclose that side hustle to your employer, even if it's uh, outside your working hours, even, uh, once again, if it's not in competition um, with your employer as such. So important to take note of. Yes. In addition to that, I think as employers, it should it should be very important that in your contract of employment, maybe add on a clause to indicate that uh, the employees, if they're involved in moonlighting or side hustle, as you described it, should disclose to their employers, irrespective of the nature, the relationship of one. Therefore, if it's of whatever nature, they should they should disclose it to, to you as the employer. That will make your job easy in maybe deciding, you know, in dismissing them for failure to such. But, but irrespective, if they still do, there's lots of authorities which uh, provide that uh, they can still be dismissed in such situations. Okay. All right. Thank you, Jonas. Thank you, Volker. That's all we have uh, time for today. Remember, our email address is info at vvd.co.za. Thanks for uh, listening. Uh, make sure that you tune in again next week, Wednesday, between 3 o'clock and 4 o'clock, and then also on Friday evenings.